It's 1987, and John Cougar Mellencamp is ready to rock. At 36 years old, he's already earned his place as one of the most iconic American rock stars of all time. And now, it's time for a sound check on his Lonesome Jubilee Tour. He takes the stage with his band and starts to perform his version of the holiday classic, I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. Expertly builds out the tune in the way only the Cougs can, and his background performers support him either with their voices or plucking away on various instruments. One backup artist stands out. She's a child, a vibrant little blonde girl tapping away on a tambourine. And as John's voice finishes a verse, all of a sudden, all eyes are on her. The little girl would turn out to be John's six-year-old daughter, Teddy Joe. In this moment, the world and his fan base would fall in love with her. But as her life went on, it would take more than a tambourine performance for her to fall in love with herself. The amount of pressure that you end up putting on yourself when your parent is so talented and someone's either not eating or or binging. And I had just gotten to the point where I just really felt pretty miserable. Many of you know Teddy Mellencamp as the down-to-earth star of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Having the best isn't important to me, but being my best is. Some of you know her from her accountability program, All In, or as the host of the hit iHeart podcast, Two Teas in the Pod. But what you might not know is the work Teddy had to do and still has to do every single day to remain in the light. So I think I had been struggling with, you know, I it, mental health wasn't as discussed back then as it was now. I have extreme OCD diagnosed. I have severe anxiety disorder. And something else you may not know about Teddy is that she helped me reclaim my light during one of the hardest times of my life. Gratitude, grit, grace, and friendship today on the Gratitudeology podcast. Would you through the fire? Would you through the storm? Will you Teddy. Hi. 
Welcome to the Gratitudeology Podcast. I'm so happy to be here. We're settling into our seats at Teddy's sprawling home just outside of Hollywood, California. It's my first time here at this house, but not my first time sitting with Teddy. Well, I mean, even when you walked in, I didn't really give my husband proper, like, I'm always yeah. just like, oh, I'm doing this pot, or I'm doing this, or doing that. Yeah. And uh, I get a text, and he's like, hold on, you didn't say Jamie, like, our old roommate was coming today. Yep. I walked into the house today and totally caught Teddy's husband, Edwin, off guard. He had been sitting out by the pool on a business call. You see, I lived with Teddy a decade ago, back when she and Edwin were newly dating. I mean, you you lived with us when we first met each other. I mean, we were, I mean, me and Edwin were still in like that new hot mess express yeah. dating phase. And uh, no, we appreciate you. Like you're part of our beginning story. And I appreciated Teddy and Edwin being a part of my story. You see, I've known Teddy since we were kids. We grew up riding horses together on the competitive equestrian circuit pony kids. It's just a bond I can't really describe. So picture this. You're 10 or 11 years old, competing on a national level, traveling around with your trainer and barn mates from horse show town to horse show town, staying in hotels, going out to dinner with all the other horse show kids, and just generally painting the town red together. We had a lot of fun. And even though I lived in Connecticut and Teddy grew up in South Carolina, our paths crossed all the time at the horse shows, and we would hang out and cheer each other on. Yep, pony friends, our friends for life. So in my 20s, when I found myself in rehab for drug addiction and then needed a place to stay when I moved to California to work in the horse industry for a bit while I got back on my feet, Teddy and Edwin opened up their doors and a room in their house. I moved in and began working for the same top trainer that Teddy worked for. I was an exercise rider and a coach, but I could immediately sense that Teddy was the star. She had always been a great rider, but here she was positioned as one of the top professional riders in the country. But I could also tell that she was struggling with anxiety and inner demons. And I began to wonder... How is it that this beautiful girl who seems to have it all has these demons that plague her and keep her from enjoying it? Because here's the thing. I firmly believe that an attitude of gratitude is the heartbeat of happiness, but only if you're able to experience it. What I realized was that Teddy, in being brought up with a famous dad, had put a level of pressure on herself that was crushing her like a vice. And the only way to loosen its grip was to get honest, vulnerable, and grateful. Over the years since our 20s, I've watched Teddy get there, but only by walking through the fire and turning her pain into purpose and fear into fuel. In order to understand Teddy today, we need to go back back to the beginning. So as we settle into our chairs, side by side, two friends who have been through so much and have now come full circle, I begin by digging in about a couple things we have in common. We're both horseback riders since we were little kids. And the other thing that we have in common is having famous parents. What was it like growing up 
with John Mellencamp as a dad? I think the thing that always gets confused when it comes to having a parent of, you know, influence, no matter what it is, um, is that it, it makes it easier for you because certain things are given to you. I think the challenging thing when it comes to people's perception of if you have a, fam a famous parent is that everything's handed to you. Yes, there are certain things that are handed to you. You are given opportunities that you would never have been given if that wasn't your parent. However, the amount of pressure that you end up putting on yourself when your parent is so talented at something. Like I know from a very young age, not only did my family expect a certain amount from me, I put triple down that amount of pressure on myself to be something special that they thought was special as well. Yeah. And I think all kids do that with their parents. Um, but it just let, added like a complete another dynamic to me always trying to be good enough for them. I can very much relate to that. What was it like just growing up with, with your dad having, doing the job that he did? Because like for me, it was, I have really fun, interesting stories in my mind that are from growing up on set with my mom as a journalist. What was it like growing up with a dad who was a rock star? You know, I always say I didn't really know the difference yeah. unless it was a big event. Like I always knew my dad was strict and my dad, you know, like I had really wild birthdays. Like it'd be like my 10th birthday, we all went bungee jumping, you know, like just things that you just don't normally do. But I didn't necessarily know the magnitude of his celebrity or his talent or his fame until I moved out here. So let's back up a beat to explain how Teddy, a small town gal from South Carolina, got out to L.A. At 17 years old, Teddy reached a pinnacle moment in her junior equestrian career. She had a blue ribbon clean sweep at the National Horse Show in Madison Square Garden and was named best child rider at another one of the national finals, a prestigious horse show called Capital Challenge. And the problem for someone who's a high performing perfectionist is where do you go from here? I think essentially what it was is my last couple years riding, I had a huge chip on my shoulder. I struggled a lot um, with kind of who I was outside of riding. Um, I struggled a lot with highs and lows with my weight and taking care of myself. I was either not eating or, or binging and I had just gotten to the point where I just really felt pretty miserable. And I thought I need to start something fresh and riding is no longer healthy for me. And my parents were like, well, okay, if you're not gonna go to, if you're not gonna ride at school and they're not gonna let you in, um, you can go to LA but you gotta do it on your own. I mean, we'll send your Jetta out there, but that's, that's where we stop. Like, and so I worked in the mailroom. The CAA mailroom program sounds like you're a glorified postal coordinator, but it's actually one of the most prestigious programs in the country for young people, usually those just out of college who wanna work in the entertainment industry. And here was Teddy out in LA working as part of this sought after program barely out of high school at 17 years old. I think I was the only non-Ivy League grad in the mailroom. Like I was a kid and, but you go through these different interview processes, you start in the mailroom and you work your way up. 
So when you're in the mailroom, you do the runs, which is essentially every day, each person puts something in their outbox and you drive it around to the different clients that are a part of CA. CA is a talent agency, so it's the biggest literary and talent agency there is, or at this point in time that there was. I mean, I remember there's a point in time where I think it was Sean Connery came to the atrium and I called him Oh my gosh, I can't even remember who it is. Like there's somebody equivalent to Sean Connery and I called him that called name. Him the wrong name. And it was just this huge thing, but like essentially it taught me how to work in a different capacity. Nobody cared who I was, anything. Like it was like I put in the work. Like you'd be there from 6 a.m. till, you know, 10 p.m. driving around packages, shucking mail, giving people ice cream, and then you move your way up to be an assistant. And here's what people just don't understand about Teddy. Her work ethic is unmatched. When most 17-year-olds in her position would have been asking their parents to send money or set up their room at university, Teddy was living on her own in L.A., determined to make a name for herself, by herself. But the harder she worked, the more she began to lose herself. So let's talk about how you felt about yourself, because I know that kind of this this subtle drumbeat through your life is this feeling of anxiety. I would say, you know, I remember that first Thanksgiving, you know, you like go, you move somewhere else. And that first Thanksgiving, you come home and I had probably gained, I don't know, over 60 pounds. And at that time, it was a different time then. So like your parents kind of talked to you more fluidly <laughs> right then now and i just remember like one of my parents or siblings or someone being like are you all right like you look different and i just was furious and i took that one little comment and i turned it into probably 5 years of just torturing my body like i went the opposite instead of being like oh i am you know going to work and eating muffins all day and not moving my body in any other capacity that I'm not being paid to move it. And then I'm going home and drinking and doing everything that's creating more anxiety. I just, it just became this like tunnel vision. Like I have absolutely, like it just, I became a person I didn't even recognize anymore. And it wasn't because I had gained weight. It's because I had lost my sense of self or my purpose. And I think when you have like that perfectionism aspect in who you are, you will go to great lengths to protect that. And um, so, you know, you, you turn to multiple things. You turn to humor, you turn to self-deprecation, you turn to um, toxic relationships. And I think that was pretty much my first 10 years of Los Angeles, it was just, I, for once, don't have this blue ribbon from riding horses and this validation from that. And because I'm not getting validation anywhere else, I'm just going to create complete chaos in my life. I've been down that road. Yeah. So then you decide to go back to horses. You're like, you're in your 20s. Yeah. And this is kind of the moment where you decide to take riding to a professional level. Yeah. Tell me about that. So I think I had been struggling with, you know, I. It, mental health wasn't as discussed 
back then as it was now. So I always, since I was a little kid, I mean, you can see right here, like I pick my cuticles. I'm, you know, I have extreme OCD diagnosed. I have severe anxiety disorder and, but before we didn't have words for that. Like it was like, she gets nervous or she has this or, you know, whatever it was. So I would start to see little things like I'd get, I couldn't drive to work. Like I'd, it would be time to go to work and I'd be like, I'd have to talk myself into doing it. But I wasn't doing anything to fix it. I would just live in pain. And I would call my family and I'd be like, I gotta go to work right now, but I feel panicked and I feel nervous. And like, I didn't know what those emotions were. And I also didn't have any outlet to fix it. So I went back to, you know, kind of one of those things like the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. And so I started riding again, um, which was amazing in the ways that like, I, I love horses and I, I love competition, but I went right back to my original like forms of kind of torturing myself mm -hmm. where everything depended on the wind. I mean, you knew me then. Yeah. Everything depended on did I get that ride. Right. Everything depended on how I aesthetically looked in those riding bridges. Like there wasn't, I, I wasn't able to laugh anymore. I just took myself so seriously. Teddy went back to the sport that had given her so much in her early years. Riding teaches you discipline, grit, and when you're good, it delivers a lot of validation. So Teddy went back to horses and began working for that top trainer where I'd eventually come out and meet back up with her, and we'd travel that road together for a stint. I think back on this time, and something that became a common occurrence for Teddy was calling me early in the morning before we had to be at the barn for work at 7 a.m. So I remember, you know, sometimes you would call me in the morning before we would go, and you would say, I'm just letting you know, like, I'm not in a good place. So, yeah. like, just, it's not going to be a great day, or I need some support, or whatever. Yeah. Take me to the moment before, like, let's talk about the driving thing in particular. As Teddy's perfectionism, anxiety, and OCD took deeper hold of her over time, it would present in many different ways. One of those was extreme anxiety over driving. It wasn't a form of anxiety I had heard of much, but as I've watched her share about it on her social media over time, it's astounding the number of people who share her fear. So I asked her, what does it feel like in that moment when you have to go somewhere to take your kids somewhere and you need to leave but become panic-stricken? What is it like in that moment? I think, you know, it's definitely gotten... It goes in waves. Like, I mean, it's this is going, if you don't struggle with anxiety, you're going to listen to this and be like, what, what is she talking about? But like, I drive on Wednesdays. That's right. She only drives on Wednesdays. Like, that, it's, I think it's part of like the OCD portion of it. But I am now in a place where I can Uber, I can do whatever. When I was younger, those were not options to me. You know, like we got, you know how much we got paid. There was not like we were taking taxis everywhere. Yeah. It was like, no, we drove our beat down cars and we figured it out. Yeah. But I think the biggest thing when it comes to anxiety is like a lot of people's anxiety stems from like, uh, sickness 
or it's, you know, this is going to happen to this person, or this is happening across the world, or whatever it may be. My anxiety is really about control. And it, it's still there 100%. I mean, you can walk around, the amount of lists, unnecessary lists that I have, or calendars, is, I mean, it's just nonstop. So I have to kind of set boundaries for myself. And I think as a kid or as a young adult, that's really challenging because you want to say yes to everything. You want to believe that you can do everything. And I've learned with time, like I have social anxiety. That's okay. It doesn't mean that I'm not a social person or I can't have fun or, or I don't love being around people. But like I also, like people talk so much about the power of yes. The power of no is so much more important. So it's like even today before this interview, I cannot prep for an interview. If I prep for an interview, I will jumble up my words, I will feel uncomfortable, I will feel nervous, I will go to all of these, you know, really like self-harming places. So I just wait until the last minute and then I go, you have to speak from the heart. You have to be authentic. You may stumble, you may say the wrong thing. There may be something that you wish you didn't say, but if you go in there and you go with a script of the bullet points of things that you wanna say, you're gonna hate yourself at the end. This struck me, her words, because here's what I want you to know about Teddy. There's not a single reason she should hate herself. If anything, quite the opposite. Teddy's parents went through a contentious divorce growing up, and she spent a lot of time on the road in the care of her riding instructors. Anyone else might not have had the strongest sense of family values or the fortitude to be disciplined and driven. But here's what's real. When I went to live with Teddy, In our late 20s, she had recently gotten together with Edwin. They were still just dating. But there was one little issue. Edwin had recently had a child with an ex-partner, a little girl named Isabella, Bella for short. And here's what I witnessed. Teddy took on that little girl as if she were her own. Her level of love and responsibility, the challenges of learning to mother on a child who wasn't even biologically hers, the amount of sheer love I watched her pour into that little girl was jaw-dropping. I watched her take on challenges that I couldn't even imagine, especially at that fragile time in my own life as I was rebuilding. So to hear her explain that misspeaking in a podcast could be enough to throw her into a tailspin. Well, it struck me. It seemed to me that she drives herself so hard, but doesn't give herself a break. I decided to reset the room with an exercise and give her a break, even if just for a moment. Gabby Bernstein has a really powerful meditation where she simply... you take your fingers and she says, peace begins with me. And it's grounding, it's an anchoring, it's mudras and mantra, right? Peace begins with me. And I think that is such an incredible way to anchor and just bring yourself into space and into a room, because I agree. The more that you prepare for something, the more that you get caught up in how it's going to be received, the harder it is. We touched finger to finger and repeated together, peace, begins with me. Peace begins with me. 
things felt calm and ready to move on to some of the stuff which I knew might be a little harder to talk about. So my next logical question is, how the hell do you bring that into world-class horseback riding and eventually being a star on a television show? So I guess let's go into the Real Housewives era now, right? Because I watched firsthand how you navigated it in the equestrian world. Yeah. You navigated it well. You were a winner. But it also tortured you inside yeah. every single day. And you just dealt with it one day at a time. So now the opportunity for Housewives comes up. How did that come up, first of all? Well, I think, okay, so when you lived with me and Edwin, I feel like that was like our first like official year of being together. Our relationship was a little rocky at the start. And then we got to a, like a, a pretty good place. Like we were, we were happy, we got married. Um, I struggled with infertility and things started to like fall back into old patterns. Whereas I clam up and I want everybody to read my mind. And the more that I clam up, the more that he just would distance himself. This was a difficult time for Teddy. After raising Bella for a couple of years, she desperately wanted kids of her own. But she suffered miscarriages and it tore her apart. She did IVF, which comes with its own share of struggles, including painful shots that can cause you to gain weight. And she did. So before we get to housewives, let's talk about that. Teddy had always fluctuated with her weight. And after the ups and downs of her fertility struggle, and then finally having two kids on her own, a girl named Slate and a boy named Cruz, she was back to a familiar place of holding on to extra weight, about 80 pounds worth, and feeling stuck. So she had an idea. And then finally one day, I, I don't even remember the breaking point. It was like right after Thanksgiving, I had seen my entire family. And then probably two days later, I started an Instagram account. The account was originally named L.A. Workout Junkie. And it was me, a, a picture of me and Slate and Cruz. And I said, hi, I'm Teddy Mellencamp-Ariave, and I'm changing my life today. Follow along if you're interested. And everyone, like everyone, I didn't tell anyone about this, anything. Um, every, Edwin texts me, all my friends text me, like, what are you doing? What are you talking about? And I said, I don't know yet, but I'm changing my life. And I'm going to use Instagram to hold myself accountable to doing it. And for 365 days, I did. And I didn't make a cent of money off of it. I solely did it because I needed to change my life. And I needed to be held accountable. And it wasn't about, yeah, the weight loss, the weight came off pretty quick. But it was about all the other shifts, building confidence in myself, all of a sudden realizing that I could keep a promise to myself and actually keep it, that I was worth doing hard things, that it was okay to say no to certain things, that it was okay not to be readily available anytime that my husband needed me, that I also was a priority, that it was okay to say, you know what, I want to go get my nails done. I need to hire a babysitter today. Like all of those things that once I had kids, I had completely lost sight of and people started taking notice, not just because like, yeah, she lost 80 pounds or any of those types of things. And I get heat because they're like, you show before and after pictures. I'm like, there's so much more than a before and after picture. You just can't show it on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Like you can't say, oh, I finally asked for a raise or I got the new job or I left my cheating husband or whatever it may be. 
But people started reaching out to me and saying, I want to do what you did, but I don't want to do it on Instagram. Will you coach me? And at first, I really had a very small mindset. And I was like, no, actually, no, I'm good. This did it for me. And then it, with time, I started believing in myself, like, no, there really is something about accountability. It doesn't mean that I'm the best. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to have bad days. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to be anxious or that I have OCD or that I have insomnia or that I pick my fingers. It doesn't mean that I'm a perfect person but I am capable of holding you accountable to whatever goals you set for yourself. I was feeling the shift. Like I was like, my marriage is getting better. I've become a more active participant, like with my kids, I'm having more fun. Like everything started, the clouds started to lift, essentially depression. Depression and anxiety started to lift because I started making myself a priority and not being living in that like misery loves company victim mentality. Like I was like, no, you're gonna take action. You wanted this life, now make the best of it. Like quit putting yourself, like, you know, like we all have that vision in our heads. Like, oh, my husband's gonna be at home at five o'clock every night and we're gonna have this perfect dinner together and we're all gonna laugh and smile and read bedtime stories. That isn't life all the time. Yes, you're gonna have some great nights. You're also gonna have some shitty ones. You're also gonna have some lonely ones. You're also, all of it. You're gonna have the best of times and you're gonna have the worst of times and that's okay. But it wasn't until I realized the only thing that's going to keep me staying on this track is helping other people. Because if it's solely about me, I will at some point give up. This was the moment that things began to change for Teddy in her journey. For the first time, she wasn't stuck in the misery of that victim mentality, that perfectionism of her youth, that unquenchable desire for endless self-validation. Once Teddy began delivering accountability to others, it was like a spark lit within herself. As she grew her LA workout junkie accountability mom pod, she began getting that motivation boomerang effect. She felt inspired by inspiring others. And as that flame grew brighter, it began attracting outside attention. It was around this time that she got a call about the Real Housewives. But Teddy knew that even though she had been reshaping and evolving her physical appearance, she hadn't yet done that same amount of restorative work on another part of her life, her marriage. And I would say when I booked Housewives, it was the worst that my marriage had ever been. And I felt like, okay, I've struggled with IVF. I've had all these miscarriages. I've at least changed my life. Like I had gone all in. I changed, you know, all of these other things. And I just said, you know, this, this opportunity has presented itself. Somebody I worked with at CAA reached out to me that I knew from when I was younger working there and said, would you ever do this? And would you rather be, if you were to get the opportunity, would you rather do Orange County or Beverly Hills? And I said, I don't know, I've never watched either. I'm a bachelor watching girl. Like, <laughs> I like love stories. <laughs> like, um, and they said, Beverly Hills is better for your business. Like, who knows if this was even true, but I was like, okay. And then the second I had my first like on camera interview, I told Edwin, I said, we're gonna book this. I'm telling you, I'm getting this job. And I, I 
very rarely do I say things like that. I said, but, and also it's really your time to either shit or get off the pot with us. Like, cause I'm not gonna go in there and just fudge it. So we have to figure this out. Like, I know that we haven't been connecting in the way that we need to connect. And to be perfectly honest, I don't even know that that first season, I even can remember anything because it was so brutal. Like everything in my life was so brutal. And to make matters even more complex, Teddy went in that typical housewife way from being framed as the well-loved new castmate to the villain in the way reality TV does oh so well. And I feel like if I went back and did it now with the amount of growth that I've had since then, I would be a completely different person because watching myself back, I realized, oh my gosh, I was like a shell of who I am now. Mm -hmm. And I think that's okay. As they say, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. As a byproduct of being thrown into the fire on Housewives, Teddy and Edwin stuck closer by each other's side. And Teddy not only felt like she worked through their issues, but her perspective on what marriage is supposed to look like as well. We all have that vision in our heads like, oh, my husband's going to be at home at five o'clock every night. We're going to have this perfect dinner together and we're all going to laugh and smile and read bedtime stories. That isn't life all the time. Yes, you're going to have some great nights. You're also going to have some shitty ones. You're also going to have some lonely ones. You're also, all of it. You're going to have the best of times and you're going to have the worst of times and that's okay. And things were okay. There were exciting times during the Housewives era. But like any run on reality TV, it wasn't all champagne and caviar. There were ups and downs made all that much more pronounced by the fact that millions of people across America had an opinion on every single thing Teddy did. I think why people loved you early on was because of basically what you're telling me right now yeah. is like, just like your, re your, your authenticity and your vulnerability. What was it like though? Because I know from the first days on Housewives, people come for the jugular. Yeah. Um, or even worse, they love you in the beginning and then they, and they turn, turn on you. Yeah. So what is it like having people so publicly judge you? I never believe people that say things like, let the haters hate or, you know, whatever that is. It's like, please, like you either don't look at your social media or you do. Um, but I can say that I have pivoted the way that I used to feel. When people used to come for me, regardless, I mean, it could be the silliest things. She has man hands or her voice is monotone or she's boring or it, it, a million things that you could come up with. I really let it sink in and like hurt me to my core. And then I got so much hate <laughs> during COVID. So let's pump the brakes here so I can set the stage. Teddy started on Housewives in 2017, joining the cast as part of season eight. She found her footing during season nine. Here's her spot in the famous Housewives intro from that season. I'm not afraid of hard work, but I'll never do your dirty work. But after season 10, plot lines had taken a turn and Teddy was let go from the show. So yeah, unbelievably, this is when people chose to up their vitriol. Like, right after I got fired, I just was such an insurmountable... I, I didn't know that much hate was possible for a human being. 
the keyboard warriors were out in full force for Teddy. And I'll be honest, as her friend, it was sometimes really hard to watch. I wanted to jump into the comments and defend her, to yell at them, to say, don't you guys realize she's a good person and a good mom and just doing her best? But the internet doesn't work that way, and it would have been pointless. Plus, I know from my own mom being on TV for my whole life that people just don't view celebrities as human beings. They're objects to be discussed, and that makes them fair game in people's minds. Still, sometimes you just wish you could speak directly to them. So I asked her. What is something that you wish people knew about you? Um, what do I wish people? I wish that I think because tonally I have such a strong sounding voice, people think I am consistently taking myself very seriously, but like I could be completely joking, but I sound so deadpan that people think it's, it's real. Like, I, I wish everyone knew me the way that you knew me or the way that people close to me know me. Like, I could say one thing and anyone that's close to me would be like, ha, 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 they'll know it's a joke. I think oftentimes people will take things that I say out of context because of the tone of my voice. Mm-hmm. So I wish, like, I really do, I, I can take a joke. I can laugh at myself. And that's actually one of my biggest survival skills. So I, I your clapbacks on in your comment section are <laughs> fucking iconic. I just need to tell you that like they are I, like chef's kiss. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But one Take thing I wish people knew about you is, yeah, number one, that you're probably one of the funniest people I've ever met, like oh, sarcastic and funny as shit. And number two, what an incredible mom you are. And I think people know that, but I, I, I don't know if they understand just how deeply real you are in the context of your family. Thank you. I think um, I think there's a lot of things as moms that we put pressure on ourselves for. And there are things that we do right and we do wrong. Um, but the one thing that I wanted to shift from the way that I grew up was I wanted to make sure that I was always there for the important things. I wanted to make sure that like, there will never be a second that one of my kids will look up from one of their games and I'll be late. There will never be a second that one of them will say like, I want you at the spelling bee and I'm not there. Like I will fight to the death to be there for their important things. But also I know that's impossible to always do it. I will always tell them. I will always say like, hey, I just want you to know this is not about you, but tomorrow mommy has this at this time. Are you okay? Like they know my dreams. Like we pray at night and like we'll sit there and they'll be like, we pray that mommy reaches all of her work dreams and that one day she will be hosting a morning show (laughs) and that blah, blah, blah. We also pray that mommy has a good night's rest and that like they know like the good and the bad and the ugly with me. And I think that's the best way you can connect with your kids. A hundred percent. Because being perfect is, yes, being perfect is not realistic and it's overrated. So Teddy had moved on, moved on from housewives, from online haters. and She was doing well. Mom life was momming. Her all-in accountability program was helping countless people change their lives. And she started a podcast with fellow housewives alum, Tamara Judge 
called Two Teas in a Pod, where Teddy could use her sarcasm and quick wit to cover all things housewives. And the show quickly rose the podcast ranks to claim the number one spot in its category. And then you found your footing. You have this amazing career, second act of the career. And then skin cancer. You know, I said I love to win. I didn't necessarily mean I love to win at how many skin cancers one person can have in one location, but I'm at 13. It was a little bit over a year ago when the first one was diagnosed. I had always had, like when I was, when I grew up, I always had like a white spot on my back that was whiter than the rest of my skin. And then I would tan myself, you know, with iodine and baby oil as one would. Um, when in the they 90s, wanted to be, <laughs> in the, yeah, in the 90s, and ride around, and you know my Abercrombie tanks <laughs> with the sports bra Very lines, and, with the Abercrombie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and um, so I just always tanned my skin. This area on my back always looked kind of funky, and it wasn't until I was on a, ro- uh, a run actually with Kyle Richards, and I used to always just run solely in my sports bra. And she looked at me and she goes, "That spot on your back changed." I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, the spot with the freckles, there's like a spot that looks different. I'm like, whatever, it's fine. She's like, I know you don't like going to the doctor. But um, she said, I know you worry about going to the doctor. We're gonna go right now. And I, I, we went in, like with someone right down the street who I'm so grateful for. Um, and immediately she looked at the spot and she was like, yeah, um, you have two choices. I can either biopsy this or I can just cut it out. I'm 99% sure it's melanoma. And uh, then we went to, uh, she cut it out. They biopsied it, it was melanoma. And then since then we've had 13. And um, the most recent one, they were unable to get clear margins, which means now I'm on, like they, I had two options, they could either completely cut out that portion of my shoulder and my back and do a skin graft, like take skin from somewhere else in my body and put it over that area because apparently that entire area is a problem. I mean, I have scars all over. Or we're gonna try, before I do that, I said I would like to try this cream, which is supposed to, like, they're like, I'm like, what are the side effects? They're like, pain, exhaustion, but I'm like, edginess, I'm like, great, sign me up. I'm already halfway (laughs) there. Teddy's cancer scare gave her a renewed sense of purpose. The amount of people she's helped by sharing her journey is truly remarkable. I think all of our lives are a journey of high and lows. And I think throughout it all, the one thing that we all crave is to not feel alone. And I think if we can share where we struggle, if we can share where we thrive, I mean, not everyone's always gonna cheer for you and that's okay. But if you can cheer for yourself and you can also help others, there's really room to do anything. And so it's like, even though I'm going through it again, like I really thought every single time, I, I, you know, I tell myself, this is the last one. I know we got it. And then there's another one. And then the entire family goes through the, like I have to have it removed and it's a surgery and it's this, do I wanna go under anesthesia? It's all the things. Um, but each time I like go in, come out of it with like, okay, well this is another lesson for somebody else. Yeah. 
this is another reason to go book that appointment. This is another reason to know that like, you can't avoid your problems. You have to run through them because the alternative, you don't know what it could be. And that's what it all boils down to. Gratitude isn't something you sit back and wait for because we never really know how much time we have or who's out there listening to us who might be helped by hearing our journey. I want to thank Teddy for sharing her journey with me today. If you'd like to check out her podcast, it's two T's in a pod. Her coaching program is all in with teddy.com and you can follow her on Instagram at Teddy Mellencamp. That's all for today. Remember, if you like what you heard, if it impacted you in any way, and if you think it's a message other people in your life might like to hear, I'd be so grateful if you'd give me five stars, leave a quick little comment, those things really help, and share this podcast with your friends, either on social media or just word of mouth. I'm on a mission for us all to help each other focus on expanding our attention towards what's good in the world rather than focusing on what's bad, one person at a time. If we all did that, even to our own little sphere of influence, the world has the potential to be a much more radically awesome place. Stick with me, friends. I've got your back. We're in this together, and it's a great day to see the greatness in the day. See you next time. The Gratitudeology podcast is written, executive produced, and hosted by me, Jamie Hess. Sound design and studio production by Gotham Production Studios. Our theme song is Maze by Hills, sung by Nadia Ali. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Gratitudeology. Set us down where we're safe. I'll be right here waiting till you